0: Well, if you're anything like me, there there seems to be a lot of opinions on what people should do with their lives. You know, I like to tell people that God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so do I, right? And so if you're like me, it's easy to have just opinions on how people should live. And maybe one of the easiest places is what people should do with their money. Here's a picture of a a lady named Roseanne Balsany and her cute little Maltese pup, Bella Mia. Now, if you love pups, this is a cute pup. Uh, Well, uh, Bellamia happens to be facing some some pretty beautiful things when uh, Roseanne passes away. So in her inheritance, in her will, Roseanne has left a million-dollar apartment in New York City and a $100,000 trust fund for Bellamia to have spa treatments, gourmet food, You know, to have cute doggy wear, all these things. And so, while her intentions are great, I might say, hmm, let's talk about how you're going to spend that money, right? It's easy to think that. Or, anybody, fans of Dude Perfect, YouTube guys, Dude Perfect? Okay, so this is Cody Cotton. And so, Cody Cotton went on a Jeff Bezos flight to outer space, what's called Blue Origin. Did you know that to get on a flight to Blue Origin, it costs a it's $100,000 per minute. It's about a 10-minute ride, so it's a million-dollar flight. Hey, Cody, I love that you got to go to outer space, but couldn't there be something else we would do with that million, right? Can't we, can't we like, solve the water issue in India or something, right? Like, it's easy to have these opinions. As a kid, you know who I loved? I loved MC Hammer. Anybody else loved? Anybody have those parachute pants? I used to be able to do the, oh, oh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> MC Hammer lost $70 million in five years. He bought a $30 million house that he couldn't sell, and he, he hired a bunch of his buddies, and he paid him $500,000 a month. And I thought, MC probably was a better route, right, than that one. Now, this week, if you're watching, Michael Jordan pledged $10 million to Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation. I said, okay, Mike, that's good. MJ, I want to be like Mike. That was good. But if you're like me, it's really easy to be critical of what people spend their money on moment of honesty. Anybody else tend to do that too? You say, man, you could do so much with what you've done, what, what you've given away or what you've wasted or what you've spent. But you know one thing I'm not very good at, and I wonder if you are. I'm not very good at letting other people tell me how I should spend my money. I'll tell you how you should spend yours all day long. But I don't like it when you tell me what I should spend mine on. And I just think that's there's this reality of life, right? Like, let's be honest. We, we take it personal when people talk about how we should spend ours. Now, you could recommend that I meet your financial advisor. You could recommend that I maybe invest in in, in a stock. But once you start telling me what I should and shouldn't do, it's a whole different ballgame. And so I, I think it, what is interesting as we think about this, it, it tweaks on so, something inside of us. And I think the reason is this. Part of it is the fact that we live in a culture that is very individualized, right? Now, I, I want to do my own thing. It's my money. It's my life. It, it's, it's, it's my body. It, it's, it's my everything. I'm going to do whatever I want. We also live in Colorado. Which Colorado is this Colorado rugged outdoor individual. Oh, you want me to go to church on Sunday? I'm going skiing, right? Like, I'm going hiking. I'll catch it on Tuesday. Like, that's just kind of our culture that we're in, but it's deeper than that. See, there's something deep inside of us that says, I want what is mine, and I want what I think that I need, and I want what I deserve. And it becomes very difficult when somebody says, you know what actually is better for you? To do this with your money. Do you know what Jesus does often? Tells us what we should do with our money, right? You know, it's interesting when you you look at the Bible and you look at verses on money, just in general. You'd think that Jesus was a financial advisor because he talks about money a lot. There's 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. You know how many verses there are about faith and about prayer? 500. Why does Jesus talk so much about money? Why does Jesus talk so much about a topic that we don't want to talk about, about ourselves? See, I think it's this, because Jesus wants to uncover, again, like we said last week, he wants to uncover these things in our life that we don't want to touch because we think they're ours. And Jesus says, no, if you want to truly learn to follow me, you have to realize that you have to give yourself to me. You have to open it all up for me. And money unlike almost anything else in your life, has the ability to put a stranglehold on your life and your relationships and your heart. And so when we can learn to unfold our hands and open them up to Jesus, Jesus can do something really special in our life. And so out of all of Jesus' parables, it's really interesting, 11 of them, about 25% talk about money. And again, Jesus isn't concerned with what we don't want to hear. He's concerned with what we do need to hear. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we come across the parable of the rich fool. And hopefully all of us, when we would hear that, we would go, oh, well, thankfully we're not rich fools. We're talking about somebody else, right? We're going to talk about them out there. But Jesus wants us to see actually he's going to talk about us in here too. We've been in a series called parables and there's a lot of uh, the parables we've looked at are some of the most popular, and some of the most obscure. Some of them are really easy to understand and some of them aren't. This one is interesting because it gets set up by a dialogue with somebody in the crowd that I want to unpack for us a little bit here in chapter 12. But before we dive in, I just want to address really quick this idea of money and what Jesus talks about. You know, there, there is a lot of misconceptions about what Jesus says about money. Because if you just pull out a few of the verses that talk about Jesus and money... It, Jesus will say something like this, like, well, don't store up treasure on earth, but rather store up treasure in heaven. He'll say, where your heart is, your treasure is also found. He'll, sell, he'll say things to people like, okay, well, go and sell all your possessions to the poor and come and follow me. And a lot of people will read these verses or these concepts that Jesus has about money and will say, okay, well, Jesus, what you're saying is that money is bad. I mean, doesn't Paul go on to say later that money is the root of all evil? No, actually, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, Paul says. But we misunderstand Jesus because we think Jesus is saying money is all bad. So what t- people have the tendency to do is we say, well, I don't need any money then. I'm going to be a hermit. I'm going to live in a cave. It's going to be me and my Bible in a tree, and I'm going to go hide from the world because money is bad and it's evil. Or other people go, well, Jesus, I understand how bad possessions are, so I'm just going to live it up, Right? vacations, cruises, I'm just going to spend it all on delicious meals. I'm not going to worry about having anything in my home because, Jesus, you said that's bad, right? And I think we miss Jesus' heart in both directions. Jesus isn't talking about money. What Jesus is talking about is what money does to you. And it's not just money, it's the love of money. It's this idea of idolizing money, of desiring to have possessions, of making this thing money and wealth and possessions, the, the, the thing that's going to fill the blank in our hearts and in our souls. So simply put, this is what Jesus is going to talk about today. It's not money or riches or possessions themselves that are concerned with. It's your heart attitude around them. And so it's, it's not about how much stuff you have, but about how much your stuff has you. And that's what Jesus is going to get at today. So let's dig into this here in verse 12. Of, or chapter 12, verse 13. Now, if, if you've been following along in the greater story, that we find Jesus, um, he, he's in, in Luke now, he's been teaching about uh, many of the things he taught about in the Sermon on the Mount, be a light to a dark world. He, he's talking about, um, you know, being, being truth, and, and he's been healing, and he's been uh, casting out demons, and uh, all these kind of things. And then we get to chapter 12, and Jesus is really just talking about, like, not living in fear. And so he's standing here, and he's got a big crowd around him, and we see in verse 13 that he gets interrupted. Notice what happens in verse 13. It says this, that someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" So Jesus is teaching, and somebody interrupts him. "'Hey, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me.'" It'd be like right now if one of you were like, "'Hey, Drew, tell my husband to stop leaving his underwear on the bathroom floor.'" Right? Right? And I'd be like, fellas, she's right. And for some of y'all, you just need to throw those away. When you start seeing some daylight, trash can those guys, right? Like, they're cheap. Just go to home. They're, seriously, they're cheap, okay? Anyways, side note, talk to me later if you've got complaints. But it, it, like he said Jesus gets interrupted. And, and, but Jesus' response is really interesting. Notice what he says in, in the next verse, in verse 14. He, he says, well, man, who would made me judge or arbitrator over you? This is an interesting thing for Jesus to say, right? Like, what, what is this? Like, why, why am I? I'm not an estate lawyer. I'm not dealing with these type of things. I'm not a probate judge. And then notice what Jesus says. This is interesting. If you're staying in the crowd, you might not want, like, why is Jesus coming after this guy? Notice verse 15. It says, and, and Jesus said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Somebody say covetousness. Covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, it's interesting because if you're in the crowd and you hear this guy say, Jesus, tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance, you get the feeling like this guy got taken advantage of and Jesus is just telling him now, hey man, watch out, be on guard for covetousness. And so you almost wonder like, well, maybe this guy got taken advantage of. Maybe this guy's brother was supposed to give him some of his inheritance and he didn't. And this guy just wants what's, so, why does Jesus give him an answer like that? Well, context. Somebody say context. You guys aren't very excited about that. Context is very exciting. There it is. Context is key, right? Without context, you just can't understand what's going on here. Here's what's going on in Jewish culture there was an idea of double portion of inheritance. How many of you guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau or the prodigal son? And so the oldest son would get two, if he had, there was two sons, the oldest son would get double, so he'd get two-thirds, and the youngest son would get one. So what's going on here is that this son, the father passed away, the family passed away, left the inheritance to the sons, and the older brother got what he was due. And the younger brother is upset about it, even though that was the way it culturally worked. The younger brother is saying, Jesus! It's not fair that my brother got more than I did. Tell him to share it with me. So that's the backstory of what's going on here. And Jesus is saying to him, Listen, man, what is happening, it's not about the inheritance. What is happening is that your heart is desiring that thing, that money, or what that money is going to bring possessions, maybe security or comfort. And that thing is becoming an idol in your heart. He, he, he's not saying that wealth is bad, possessions are bad. He's saying that your hard attitude around it is bad. He is idolizing what that inheritance is going to do for him. So Jesus says to him, Don't covet. What does it mean to covet? Well, one of the translations for covetousness is greed. He said, Don't be greedy. Don't just desire more wealth and more possessions because when you, and when you desire that and you, that's all you can think about, it will captivate your mind. This man thought it would bring him happiness and Jesus is saying it's not going to. Don't fall into the trap of believing it, that inheritance or these possessions or these wealth are going to fill the gap in your soul. Now, he's talking about greed. Now, how many of in this room, if we were honest, we'd say, right now, I am just a greedy person. You guys actually raised your hands. Like, that's impressive, right? Like, maybe one of these I I was expecting. But, like, typically when we think of greedy people, we think of villains, don't we? Like, we think of, like, Scrooge McDuck, you know, like the worst villain of all. Or I don't know about you guys, but I think of Hans Gruber from Die Hard, right? Like, the guy that comes in, takes over a building, wants millions of dollars. The shame is you guys have to wait till Christmas to watch it again. Come on. It's a Christmas movie, Right? But like we think of villains, we don't think of ourselves, but I think what Jesus wants us to see is that this guy, yes, his eyes are set on having more, his eyes is focused on this inheritance, but we all fall in that trap too because we all covet things too. I mean, I'm I'm just being real. Like if you guys spent the week scrolling Amazon for new window treatments, you guys might be coveting window treatments, right? Like how many of you guys have nike.com saved on your browser? right? Like, how many times are you looking at what new Jordans are coming out? I mean, I know Jeff is, right? So, like, the the reality is that, like, our minds and hearts are just spinning on that next thing we're going to buy, that next thing we're going to get. We're dreaming about that that, that bonus that we're going to spend or we're going to get this new house. And all I do is get dings on my phone from Zillow.com, which are annoying, by the way, right? Like, got to unsubscribe from that stuff. It'll just drive you crazy. So the idea is we all covet, and here's why because because of the brokenness in the world and because of sin our default human posture is to wrap our arms as tightly around what we have and to desire to get everything we can like we just that that's just our desire generosity is not something that comes naturally to us giving away for no reason at all is not something that makes sense now there are plenty of people who give because they feel like they're getting something in return. That idea of giving wholeheartedly and being generous doesn't come natural. And that's why Jesus is trying to tell us to be on guard. See, notice that Jesus said, be on guard. Jesus wants us to be on guard for how greed can seduce your heart. Like, this is what this parable is about. He's going to tell us a story because just by telling this guy it doesn't do enough. Jesus needs to give us an illustration. But the idea is, be on guard because greed will seduce your heart. And it, Like, let's be honest, we know it's true, right? Like, we know that desiring something can captivate your imagination, steal your attention. It's all you can think about. And so Jesus says, be on guard because greed can seduce your heart. And notice the on guard piece because I think we missed this. Years ago, Courtney and I were living in Kansas City and there was a man on the loose who was breaking into the homes in the neighborhood we were living. We were living in this super hip neighborhood called Waldo and there was a guy that would break into homes and assault women. It was horrible. It was all over the news and everybody was on high alert. And so if Courtney and I would see some rando walking down the street, We'd, like, lock the door, you know, close the windows. I'm in there doing push-ups and sit-ups, right? I got numchucks. Like, I'm, I'm just ready. I'm ready to go. And, you know, you'd call, you, the cops were patrolling the neighborhood all the time. Everybody was on high alert. Should we have been on high alert? Yeah. Have you ever noticed when Jesus says things like, be on guard, watch out, truly I say to you? We read them and we're like, oh, cool. Nice suggestion, Jesus. I'll keep that in mind. Jesus is like, look, there is somebody prowling outside your window, and it's greed. You know, Jesus talks, you know, the Bible talks about the devil being like a roaring lion. Like we, when Jesus says, be on guard, we need to listen up. Just like if there was a public service now announcement or the police were knocking on your door, we need to be alert and pay attention because this has the, the ability to wreck your life. And so Jesus is going to give us a picture of the rich fool and it wrecks his life. So let's read this parable and unpack it a little bit. Verse 16 of chapter 12. Jesus says this. He says, "And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my goods, all of my grain and all of my goods." And so this guy has a successful harvest. He, ha- he has a, a banner crop year, and he is feeling really good about it. So he makes a plan. He's going to tear down his barns. He's going to build bigger ones. Is there anything wrong with his plan? No. Like, God bless this man. Like, praise God. Like, God has given this guy much. And so this man is being, at this point, a good steward, right? I'm like, hey, I'm going to bar- tear my barns down and build some bigger ones because I've had such a good year. So there's nothing wrong with what's going on so far. This guy is doing well. But the problem comes next, verse 19. Notice what happens next in verse 19. And then the man says this, And I will say to my soul, notice he hasn't done this yet. This is a plan. He says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, at first glance, what's wrong with this? This guy worked hard. He's going to stack all of his stuff in one, in one place. He's going to be able to take it easy. He's going to relax. I mean, isn't that the American dream? Like, work hard, get a, a lot of good things, and be able to, to coast and to relax. I, I heard a guy uh, last week um, say that he has enough money to live for the rest of his life, assuming he dies next Tuesday. <laughs> He's good for a week, right? He's good for a few days. Like, but like, isn't that the dream we all want? We want to be able to kick back and relax and, and, and thank God for, for what he's done and how he's blessed us and how we can bless other people. But that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is this man is, notice what he's saying. Look back at verse 19. He says, soul, self, Drew, you've done so well for yourself. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones so I can hold all of my goods. And then I'm just going to ride my life out on this nice, comfy wave, and I'm going to sit back and drink Arnold Palmer's every day and watch reruns and not have a care in the world. And what has happened is he is missing what God has been doing in his life. He decides to take this blessing that God has given him and keep it all for himself, thinking it's going to lead to security, it's going to lead to comfort, it's going to lead to protection, and he is missing The fact that God blessed him for a reason. We've all been here. We've all done this. We've all desired that American dream or desired that we can get our hands around as much as we can. I mean, I remember being in college thinking about, man, when I get to my first job, I'm gonna have so much. I'm not gonna have to work as hard or, you know, it could be anything, right? It doesn't have to be money. It could be possession. Once I get the house, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have my own space. I'm not gonna have to be stressed. Like it doesn't matter what it is. If it fills your blank. It's been something that you've idolatrized. And this is what has happened here for this man. And here's our problem. That you and I, we fall for the lie that if we can get our arms around enough, it's going to make us feel full. It's going to make us feel happy, and it's going to make us feel satisfied. And the reality is that one day it's going to be all gone, and it won't fill the hole in your soul anyways. And so Jesus is trying to warn us here that idolizing wealth and possessions Will cause you to miss what God is doing in your life. It's going it's to cause you to miss Jesus because you're too busy either chasing, rapping, or coasting. I want you to think of that. There's, there's a story in Mark chapter 10. Many, many of you guys have heard this before if you've been in church before, but it's the story of the rich young ruler, right? You guys remember this story? Some of you do. If you don't know the story, here's what happens. There's a, there's a man who walks up to Jesus and he says, hey, teacher, he said, you know, I, I, I want to, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, you need to honor your mother and your father, and don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery, don't lie. And the guy's like, well, I've, I've done all those things, Jesus. What must I do? And Jesus knew what his problem was. He idolized wealth. He idolized his possessions. And so notice what Jesus says to him right here. In Jesus, verse 21, notice what he says. He looks at him, and he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Now hold on that. Why did he have to do it in that order? Because Jesus knew specifically for this man that he wouldn't follow Jesus unless he opened his hands. Because he was gripping too tight. And so he needed to open up his hands so he could follow Jesus. He couldn't follow Jesus because his love and his heart was his wealth and his possessions. And so notice what happens. The man, in verse 22, is disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Here's the thing, guys. Idolizing his wealth and possessions caused him to miss what God was doing. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of the world, who came to give his life for us, was standing right in front of him. And he missed it. He saw him as a teacher. He was a teacher, but he was the Savior. How many of us have missed Jesus standing in front of us or doing something or moving in our lives or weaving our situations because we've been so focused on the chase or we've been so focused on holding tight to these things that we have and we've missed what Jesus is doing because we've idolized something that should have been seen as a blessing rather than the thing in our life. Does that make sense, guys? This rich young ruler missed it. And Jesus goes on to say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven. And he doesn't say, it's not meaning anything about wealth. He's not talking about anything about riches. He's talking about your heart attitude. Because if you idolize wealth, riches, and possessions, and things, and status, and fame, and success, or fill in the blank, you're gonna miss Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that wants us to trust in him. Because Jesus is the giver of all good things. And so we missed it. See, see, I think there's something we have to understand here. It's at play, that God has created your life to work in a certain way. I think we talk about this every week. Like, there is a plan for your life that is best for you, and then there is our plan that we think is best for us that leads to heartache and heartburn and guilt and shame. God has a plan that's of the way the world should work. And we see from the very beginning, what did God do when he... In the very, very beginning of Genesis, in the very beginning of time, what did God do? He created. God worked. What did he do? He created Adam and Eve, and he put Adam and Eve in the garden to do what? To work, and to rule, and to govern. God didn't create us to be like bears and just eat, 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 eat and go and sleep for four months, right? Like God created us to to work and to govern and to rule the creation he's given us. He's given us these jobs and we're to be rulers, but not kings on the throne eating grapes. We're to be out tilling the ground. And so there's this idea that God has created inside of us that we need to work. And the moment we step back and we say, I've got enough on my hands, I've got enough In my bank account or I've got enough of my retirement, I'm going to coast on on out, we lose the passion and the mission and what God has designed us to do in life. And when we dream about that, we end up missing what he's called us to do. How many of you guys remember the Super Bowl back in 2016? I don't don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, back in 2016, the the Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons were playing, and the Falcons were up 28-3. to You guys remember this game? How many of you know in life, it seems like whenever you get a big enough lead, you lose it, right? Like, so the Patriots came back in 134 to 28, and everybody broke their TV, right? Like, we're so sick of it. You could say that about other teams, too. I get that, right? But we're so sick of it. Like, there's this reality, like, in life, when you get a big enough lead, you pull your foot off the gas, right? You get a big enough advantage, you pull your foot off the gas, you lose passion, you lose mission, And I think what Jesus is warning us in this parable, one of those sub-themes, is that when we say to, I'm gonna do this, I mean, notice the guy hasn't even built his barns yet, but he's gonna say, I'm gonna build my barns and I'm gonna say to myself, self, soul, you are good, coast it. We take our foot off the gas, we lose our passion and we miss God's mission for our life. God created us to work. The reality is that your work reflects the image of God. Like when, when we pull back from that, when we pull back and we say, I'm going to coast on what I have, then, then, then we are reflecting negatively on the image of God. God created us to work, and he created us to govern and to rule. And just think if we all took that seriously, what this world would look like. It'd be beautiful. It'd be, it would be way less messy. It'd still be a mess because we're broken people, but it would be way less messy. And so here's a question I just want you to ask as you're kind of thinking about this idea, like where in your lives have you been focused on the things you can get in your hands or the things that you think are going to fill the hole in your soul and rather than looking up and paying attention to the things that God is doing? Where have you fallen for the lie that wealth and possessions and things like that can fill your tank? Because I think we all have. and That's why Jesus says be on guard. This isn't something we, we stand on guard once and we got it figured out. This is a daily thing for many of us, especially those of us that are Um, have have experienced some great blessings. It doesn't matter if you have a little or you have a lot. Greed can grip your heart. And Jesus is saying, be on guard. Watch out. Don't be like this man. So back to the parable. So here in verse 20. So this guy thinks his life's figured out. He thinks he's good. He's going to coast his way out. He worked hard. Now he's going to coast. But what he didn't know is that his time had come. And so notice what God says to him. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, the night your soul is requ- this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God is saying to him, Look, you think you got this thing all figured out, but what you don't know is that tonight is your night. The same with us. We don't know when our last breath is going to be. And God is challenging this man. You have been a bad steward with what I've blessed you with. I gave you much, and you were going to rest on it and not bless others with it and not share it. Not be a good steward of it? So Jesus says that this man was a fool. I don't like that word. Do you? Do you guys like that word? Nobody likes being called a fool. The idea of foolishness is lacking of good sense and judgment. You know, Albert Einstein, he, he, said, he said that only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And he's not sure about the former, right? Like one thing that's real is we're all going to be stupid. And that's just part of the human experience because of sin and brokenness that we're all gonna be foolish and think we've got it figured out. The problem becomes when we think that we know better than what God knows. When we think that our way is better than God's way. God's the one who created us, who spoke his world into existence, who knit us in our mother's womb and then we go, hey God, I know you said this is what's the best way. Sorry, I know it's not. I'm gonna go my route. God would say that is foolishness. Proverbs 1, 7 you guys know that one, it says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Like the fear of the Lord meaning respect, respect and, and, and adoration and love. When you respect and adore and love God and his word, you're going to take seriously when he tells you to be on guard and what it looks like to be wise. And so I think what Jesus is getting at here about greed is this, and we're almost done. He says that a greedy heart often leads to a foolish life. That if we allow greed, if we haven't listened to Jesus' words and we aren't on guard, that greed will grip our heart, will seduce our heart, and will lead us to making foolish decisions and living a foolish life. Why, Why is that? Because when we think our plan is better than God's, we waste what God has blessed us with to bless others. You know, King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, 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 he had everything he could imagine. If you guys have read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's almost like this test. He, he's like, I've got everything I want. I've got, I've got court seat side, seats to the Lakers. I've got the best golf clubs. I've got speed boats, and I've got mansions, and I've got gold bars for breakfast. I'm going to live it out and see if this will fill my soul. And he comes back and he says, actually, it doesn't. It's all vanity. And at the end of the day, what's the point of having all this stuff? Because you're just going to give it to somebody else anyways, and you'll have no control over what they're going to do with it and he's right. I looked up inheritance tax and probate tax. Did you know? I'm sure you didn't know this, but I'm going to tell you so you guys know. In 2019, Americans paid $5.4 billion in inheritance tax. You know what that means? That's $5.4 billion that people, I'm going to say wasted. Because they could have made sure that that money was going somewhere to benefit somebody, to bless somebody, to steward somebody. Now, I'm sure the government did good by that 5.4, for sure. But I'm just saying, in general, how much could people have been blessed and cared for with that 5.4, right? If they would have had a plan. You know the old old saying, right? Like, a a goal without a plan is just a wish. Do we want to be people that wish are people that actually God uses in a special, beautiful way. So I I think it's just something for us to pay attention with. God has blessed you with whatever you have. And in this room, we've got people that have a lot, and we've got people that have a little, and we've got a lot of people in between. Whatever you have, God has blessed you with. But he didn't bless you with it so you can have an easygoing life, and it's all rainbows, lollipops, and sunflowers. He blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others and to be a good steward. So this is why Jesus says in verse 21, notice this. He says that this man was foolish, and so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, Jesus is challenging. Where are you laying up treasure? Like, what's your focus? Is it down here, stacking as much wealth as we can? Or is it using what God has blessed us with to bless other people so you can stack as much treasure in heaven? Because one day, this place is going to end, and we can't take it with us. And if you know Jesus, you're going to a beautiful reality of eternal life with Jesus. Where you're not going to be worried about your baseball card collection or how many Nike Jordans you've got in your closet. But you're going to be seeing the faces of people that you played a role in helping bring them into the kingdom of God. And that is true treasure. So this, again, Jesus is asking us. He wants us to see that true treasure is only found in him. Whatever you try to fill your heart with, it's not going to work. But stacking true treasure in heaven is only found through treasuring him. So I guess the question I want to ask you is, what do you want your lives to be known for? I want to close with this. Many of you are familiar with the name of King Tut, the Egyptian pharaoh who died at a young age. In 1922, archaeologist Howard Carter found his tomb. And in his tomb... They, they found that, that robbers had tried to break in, but they couldn't break it, the door down to his, inter, his tomb, and they opened it up, and it hadn't been touched for 2,000 years plus, thousands of years. They go in, and they find his sarcophagus. They open up, and they found that he was buried with all kinds of precious gems and jewels. He had gold, and he had silver, and he had an original copy of the Beatles' White Album. I mean, he had just... Everything was in this, right? Because the Egyptians believed you could take it all home to heaven. But you know what was in that casket? Bones. But not far down the, the road, there's another tomb. And it's the tomb of a man named William Borden. And you may know William. You may not know his story. He was the heir to the Borden fortune. He was a rich kid growing up in Chicago. And when he graduated high school, he was getting ready to go to Yale. And his parents said, William, before you go to Yale, I want to send you on a, a globe-trotting tour. So he hopped on a plane and he went to Asia. And while he was there... God moved in his heart, and he decided, what am I doing? I I need to take Jesus to these people. And So he writes a a letter to his parents while he's on this trip, and he says, Mom, Dad, I decided I'm going to be a missionary for Jesus. And his mom and dad said, you're wasting your fortune. You're wasting your life. Why would you do that? But anyways, he didn't listen to him, And he came home. He went to Yale. He ended up going to seminary in Princeton, and he moved and became a missionary to the Muslim nations, began sharing Jesus When he was in Egypt, at age 25, he caught spinal meningitis and died within 30 days. His body is still there. You can go see his tomb now. When his parents got his Bible, they opened up his Bible after the funeral, and they noticed three sayings in his Bible. And these sayings were this, no reserve, no retreat, and no regret. When the story of William Borden hit newspapers in America, God used that to light the fire of missionary hearts with the thousands of young, young men and women who hit the mission field because they were motivated by a guy who said, I don't want to be buried with my stuff. I'm not going to wrap my arms around my junk. Instead, I'm going to give it away and give my life away so others can come to know Jesus. So let me ask you which one of them wasted their life which one of them truly lived i think it's pretty clear there's this interesting beautiful reality i think that we need to realize that god wants to change the world through you he wants to bless you to do it but you got to change your heart to see that what he gives you is a blessing to be passed on to others so how do you how do you want to live how do you want your life to be remembered here's my challenge for us this week is to ask that question is greed sneaking in how is greed shaping our hearts how is it seducing our hearts and, and find an area where, where you might find that yeah I'm having a hard time opening my hands you know I, it might be this thing God you can have this area of my life or you can have this area but God you just can't have this God I'll give you my relationships and God I'll give you my time but God I, I just can't give you my money because what happens if something bad happens What happens if we have a recession? What happens if things get really expensive? What happens if fill in the blank? You know what Jesus says? Trust me. Now, be a good steward. Pay attention, but trust me. And so find that area in your life, whatever it is. I'd say, decide to open up your hands and decide to give some of it away. Because when you do, you'll be amazed to see how God breaks the stranglehold that money has on your heart. Because all things are God's anyways. It's crazy that God wants to use you and me and this church to change the world and he's blessed and he's placed us here to do it. He's blessed us to do it. And the beautiful thing is God has invited us to be a part of the greatest story ever told. told that's the story I want my life to be a part of. And I hope the same is for you. So let's ask Jesus this week to move in our hearts and help set us on the path for life. Would you pray with me?